And this morning we are actually going to start things off just a little bit different. Normally Pastor Bruce gets up here and he reads a passage of Scripture for us as we get into our Word this morning. We're actually going to be in the same passage of Scripture we read last week. So we decided to do something just a little bit different today because over the past few weeks you've probably heard me reference Josh Todd's testimony. And Josh came and he was baptized here a couple of weeks ago. He stood before you and he proclaimed Jesus as his Savior. He said, I'm buried with him in death and I'm raised to walk in a new life. And men's breakfast, the day before that baptism, we were able to uh, hear Josh's testimony. I've had an opportunity to reference it a handful of times. But as I was studying our passage in Ephesians this week, I got to thinking, I said, you know what? You've heard his story through me enough times. Josh, how about you come on up here and share with us your story? So you guys give a hand to Josh as he comes up. And Josh is going to share a little bit about how God is working and has worked in his life. And I'm going to sit back and just listen and enjoy it a second time. Go for it. Okay. Hi, I'm uh, Joshua Todd. And... uh, Man, <laughs> all I got to say is I want to give praise and glory all to God and uh, how He changed my life. And this is the reason why I love God so much, and it's what He did for me. Um, well, it all starts when I was born. My parents uh, baptized me, and I thank them for that. But as I was growing up, I never really understood the reasoning why I had to get baptized or what was the cause of it. Um, I was, uh, I went to a lot of different churches, and I got to see a lot of different people, a lot of different ways people, you know, praise God, and uh, every time, everyone sounded so great in church, and, you know, always said that they put everything to God, but outside of church, they had different actions. Nothing was the same, no one really believed in him so as I was growing up I was very observant and I started seeing these actions and uh, I just didn't understand it I thought that was just a joke I didn't get the whole reasoning why we had to believe when no one acted that way Uh, so in my growing up I was a very stubborn child as well and when everyone told me no or I can't do something, I uh, took it to heart and I uh, tried to prove them wrong. Well, sometimes it was for good things in my life, but also I did a lot of bad things too. And proving them wrong for that was not really good. Uh, as that was happening, I started uh, using drugs at a young age and uh, thought that that would help with this emptiness I had throughout my life and never really helped and uh, as I was growing up into uh, high schools just let you guys know I was born in a military family so I moved around a lot and I didn't really have uh, a set group of friends growing up so when I got to middle school and high school I always try to fit in as much as possible um, just to feel loved by somebody on this earth <laughs> and, uh, and then not from my parents and uh, so I 
got into smoking weed a lot and, uh, you know, went to dabble with girls and trying to sell weed to make money to see if that would work. And uh, I still felt really empty. And through that time, I got into partying really hard. <laughs> and uh, I started that around eighth grade, drinking and not really caring about life. Um, well, it led me into a lot of people that I didn't need to be around. And uh, we were all just confused in life at this time. And uh, when I graduated high school, um, through that time, I was in and out of a lot of uh, holding cells, and uh, probably from every county in New Mexico. So <laughs> they probably have a good record on me there. And uh, there was one good time when I was getting into CNM where I was just drinking nonstop and just partying, and I got a DWI. And uh, there was drugs in the car, and I took the blame for everything, thinking that, hey, maybe these people will respect me now, and, you know, I can, um, you know, find that love. Well, when I was doing some time, uh, I didn't hear from any of these people, none of them. Uh, they actually never even told my parents where I was. They found out from the police, and uh, so I did some time in jail and then when I got out and they were trying to show me what my verdict would be uh, in that year I had this coach from Quincy, California which is a small little town and he asked me if I still played basketball and I said why not I guess I can, I guess I can do that again uh, knowing willingly I haven't played in forever <laughs> and uh, as they were about to sentence me I was supposed to do five years uh, for that case and uh, that's what it was looking like for a while. And uh, all of a sudden, she said that there was a coach keeping in contact with her, which I did not know that he was doing that, and um, got me out. And they said that it'd be better for me to be in a program and on probation, and maybe that would change my life around. Um, I thought she was foolish. <laughs> I, I already knew I wasn't going to change. I knew that it was just another thing in life. You just got to deal with it. Um, during that time, and as I was growing up, I've always been told, too, as well, if you want something done, you don't rely on anyone. You do it yourself if you want it correctly done right. And uh, I take that in every aspect of my life. And it was, uh, it was good for some things, like, again, but other things it wasn't. And when I got to California, I did pretty good for a little bit. And this town is so small, man, they only had like 5,000 people there in this town. So you got to know a lot of people, and they got to know you really well. <laughs> and uh, as I was going through school, I just wasn't, I still was empty. I didn't understand what was wrong. I meant my family loved me. And I knew that, but I just didn't understand why I felt so empty in life. And I uh, couldn't find a job for a while because uh, they just thought I was just a college kid and that I was just going to go back home, so they didn't want to hire me. So what I did was sell drugs again. I was really good at it, and I could talk to a lot of people, and I was, you know, I was, like I said, I was really excellent at that. And uh, <laughs> through that time, I got really big at doing that. And... I found out during that that people don't love you for who you are. They just love what you have. Uh, 
and uh, it got me to a deep depression. I got in a really dark place. I cut my family off completely. Just didn't really talk to them at all. And uh, and every time they did call, I'd say everything's fine. But in reality, I wasn't doing too good. I did a lot of things I do not. Uh, I'm not proud of in my life. Um, and to people that uh, you know, I shouldn't have done it to. They, everyone was lost at this time, and I just made them even worse. You know, <laughs> just giving them things that they didn't need. Uh, well, during that time, I got to a point where I didn't have to pay for any of my drugs, so I would do a lot of them. And I got to a point where I just didn't care anymore, and I just thought life was just crap. And uh, that's just how you had to deal with it. And so I just, I got to a point where it was really scary in my life where I just didn't know which way to go and I just didn't care about anyone's feelings or what what they thought of me. And uh, I tried it in my life a couple times by overdosing. tried every drug under the sun. And... uh, not, I mean, never, never worked. I could never seem to get past that thresh point. Um, so there was another day I uh, just got really into my feelings, did, did a lot of drugs, and I saw a car, and I jumped in front of it, and this girl had cat reflexes and stopped on the dime. <laughs> and uh, just seeing her face made me, uh, I felt so horrible and just to know that I was so selfish to do that. I mean, she would have to live that for the rest of her life. And I didn't really care for that, I guess. And so after a point in time, I started to try to change around. Uh, my brother came up to get me from California to come back down in New Mexico. I was like, well, this time I'm going to do it different. I'm actually going to do get a real job and uh, try to make money the right way. Well, as I was doing that, uh, my mom showed me this church and uh, I still wasn't really understanding the whole reasoning about why we go to church and why I needed church family it just didn't make sense to me still still was just careless and I uh, finally got me a job at a hotel doing the night audit well that didn't uh, make ends meet with money so then I got another job uh, during the day, and that still didn't make ends meet. So then I got another job, and I was so I did night audit, worked at Boba Tea at the mall. So if you ever saw me, that's probably where I was. And then uh, I painted painted interior and exterior houses on the side just to make things meet. And then still nothing was meeting up, and I was killing myself by just working constantly. I mean, Pastor Matt knows I would sleep. Uh, in his uh, sermons. That was the only time I really got to sleep. Uh, So uh, I tried to do it for my mom coming here, but I really didn't do it for myself. And I just, like I said, was still careless, didn't care. Uh, Still was partying. Next thing you know, I start selling on the side as well, just to try to make a little extra money. I did that for three years of just non-stop working seven days a week and um, finally I landed this job tugboating and I was like yes finally I can do something 
I can I know I'm good at it. I went out there was doing awesome uh, the money was good I finally got off of drugs because uh, you had to be clean so that was awesome um, and I only I would stay on the boat about five months at a time and I loved it because there was no self-service so once again I was able to just be by myself and have no worry about me I just I like being alone I didn't like having people care and send me I just like to do my own thing um, well it wasn't even a full year yet and then I got into my accident um, a cable a 110 pound cable hit me at 55 miles an hour and I hit the there's a ladder on the side of the boat and I hit the handrail and it split me in half um, I was awake for the whole thing he didn't know the captain didn't know what was happening so he just kept the cable going so it's just going and going and I was like well this might be it <laughs> you know I didn't know how this was going to end so finally my left cheek ripped and I flew up the boat about 15 feet up the boat and uh, I tried to get up I couldn't get up I just thought I broke my leg that was it <laughs> and when I got to the hospital finally get to the hospital I started to go into shock and uh I don't really remember too much. I just remember getting on the table, and when they moved me from that bed to the the hospital bed, I was in tremendous pain, and I just don't remember anything after that. And I just remember waking up a day later at about 7.30 in the morning, and I was just like, what's up? You know, I saw all these doctors. They're looking at their watch, looking at the, you know, the time on the wall, and there's two of them, and I'm like, what are they doing? Finally, they call all these nurses in. They rush in, give me uh, IVs and all these things that I needed. Well, finally, the doctor came to me, and he asked me, what do you think happened to you? And uh, I just said I broke my leg, and he was astonished because he's like, no, <laughs> that is not what happened. Um, so when he told me, he said that uh, you're not supposed to be here right now. I did. I was like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to be here right now? I'm right here now. And uh, he said, you lost four quarts of blood and on the table as they were trying to proceed. Uh, all my organs were black. I mean, that's dead. And they just were throwing them out. So they just put me back together and put me on the deathbed. And they said, well, all we could do is just give you blood. Well, I wasn't taking the blood. And they finally gave to a point where they put ten bags on this little hanger and they uh, said if they go through this 10 bags they're just going to say I'm dead because nothing else they could do they're not going to waste any more blood and I took on the 8th bag of blood and the doctor I remember it clear as day when he said uh, <laughs> he said that uh, there's got to be someone watching over you because there's nothing that we could have done for you all we could do is give you blood. And that was it. And if you weren't taking it, then you were dead. So at that point, I was just really asking why me, not as a reason why, why, like why it happened. I just didn't understand why he saved me after all the things. I never once came to him to, for anything. I 
did a lot of horrible things in my life, and I just didn't understand why he saved me. Um, sorry. <laughs> so during that time, uh, when I was healing in the process, the doctor came back and told me that I probably won't be able to walk again, won't ever pee again, or do any bodily functions anymore. I'd be basically paralyzed from the waist down. Um, and that was my life. Hold on, sorry. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, I see you. You're playing a game with me now. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I didn't understand. I didn't understand anything, and I was like, you know what? I want to still push through this. I still did not believe in him. I still said I could do this myself. And during this time, uh, this church actually helped me out a lot they gave me a lot of money for this donation which that was another thing I didn't understand either because I was like I'm going to figure it out myself and I don't need no one's help and I was thinking how am I going to pay all these people back <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have a job at the time I didn't know how I was going to do that so during that uh, this was very lost again and didn't know where to go um but during this time, I started moving my toes little by little. Uh, I was able to get up into a wheelchair uh, from the bed. Um, went through the process. They had a doctor that was supposed to leave to Texas, one of the best uh, surgeons for putting bones back together. And he came back and stayed and helped me put rods into my hips because I was shattered. My hips and pelvis were shattered. Nothing was nothing they couldn't find anything down there they were they just didn't think I was going to be able to get back to normal um, well I finally got my hits back in place I was going they flew me out on a jet to New Mexico because they said the best doctors for my urethra and rectum area were here and I said oh how funny is that I have family here you know so I was like that works out perfect uh, but as I was going through the, my wish before that didn't happen, I, they overdosed me with drugs on the plane. And then they didn't think I was going to make it until I got back down to ground level and I woke back up. And they were like, that was a close one. Uh, they said, are you good? I said, hey, man, I didn't feel one thing, so I'm good. Uh <laughs> So I didn't tell anyone about that. Kind of kept it on the low for them. And then when I got into the hospital, I was uh, put with a lot of people that couldn't walk. So that I thought that was just my new life. And I would just not. I would hear all these cries and everyone hating this how things happen in life. And I kind of didn't wasn't as mad. But the thing was, I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand where this was going or why this was happening this way. Uh, when I finally got uh, to New Mexico, they did a lot more surgeries on me. And they <laughs> I remember they said they couldn't find anything. And they said, that we're, I don't know how to put you back together right now. So we just kept waiting. And uh, as they were working on me, they finally got my, they found my urethra way down in my leg. 
down here. Um, and they said, hey, we could probably put that back together if you want. And I said, all right, let's do it up. Uh, so that happened. I was feeling a little bit better. Um, but they still said that you're not going to be still functioning. And I said, okay. And I just just didn't understand. I kept a good attitude about it all. Um, but I didn't give it to God still. I still was fighting that. And I don't know why. But uh finally was able to get out of bed and start walking. And uh, <laughs> I remember I still watch those videos now. And I was very happy but still depressed because I just thought, man, I, this is life again and I'm just going to have to deal with this this way. And uh, I remember finally when I was able to get out of the hospital and I came here uh, to Paragon Church and I remember when all the prayers and everyone that gave to me, I just broke down and cried because I'd never felt that love that I was looking for my whole entire life. I, and I still was so, I was so scared of it, I ran away from it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I, I just felt so weird. And when people said I didn't have to pay him back, I didn't have to do any, any of this, you know, just heal. I just didn't understand why people <laughs> would do that, you know. And especially my whole entire life, I was just trying to do everything myself and not worry about if other people were going to help because I never had that. So I uh, went back to my old ways, partying and just having fun and I got to a point where I just felt careless again and I didn't know where else to go I started to get really mad I didn't want to be here anymore and uh, I finally just broke down and I said God if you're real show me something man like show me a sign or whatever I just need to know because I always hear all these people say that they could hear God's voice, or they could feel him, and I was like, I could, don't understand how you're doing, how are you feeling that? I, I don't understand how you get that. So it made me really mad, and I finally just asked, and said, Ben, I can't do it no more. If, if you're real, please show me something. A couple of days later, I was watching the show Chosen, and the first episode, at the end of it, when he says, he called Mary by her first name, it hit just I uh, started crying of joy it just was so real I felt him inside and it just I knew it was real this time and I knew that he finally came through me and I was the best feeling of my life ever and uh I mean, he changed me so quick. I remember trying to smoke a bowl after, just just to see if this was real, you know. And it didn't even, I didn't even want it. I, n- nothing, drinking, drug, anything. I just was done. I didn't want it anymore. I didn't have the urge. No more. <laughs> Best feeling to get out of that. You're just trapped. And it, I wasn't trapped anymore. I uh, was able to get out. And uh, he just kept leading me. I kept going to church and 
listening to Pastor Matt and just seeing things around me change. It just changed. And it was a beautiful change. Nothing, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just so awesome. And he kept leading me back to, I need to be baptized again. And I finally knew what it was meaning when baptism was just giving everything to God and knowing that He saved us. He brought His only Son to save sinners like us, guys. And it's, uh, it's just amazing that He would do such a thing. And uh, we, got, you know, we can have salvation. It's beautiful. And so that's why I was so eager to, to get baptized right away. I was like, let's get this going. <laughs> I wanted to... I just felt the change and I felt the urge and I needed to keep going that way. No, nothing else felt better in my life ever. And people could tell you different, but I know he's real. He uh, got me through. And uh, I remember from my last surgery, after the baptism, I remember telling him, you know, this is all you. I'm going to give it all to you this time. I'm going to surrender everything. Not going to worry and this time the doctors were <laughs> they did the surgery and they told me hey we're not going to give you any hard drugs we're not going to give you anything really <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with it and see how it feels so I was like alright <laughs> it really is a test now uh, but I'll tell you something guys he got me through it through the pain through everything, I had great spirits still. People didn't understand why I was so happy. I just said, I don't know what to tell you, but Jesus, man, Jesus saved me. So uh, they were like, okay, well, that's awesome for you. I'm glad you found something. And uh, all I remember is that this time it worked. And this is the second time they tried this. The first time I went septic and almost died again with acid uh, leaking out. So, it's just His work is so powerful. And He is able to change you if you just give it to Him. And that's all I could say. And uh, that's why I love Him so much. <laughs> I told me he had five minutes. I'm glad he didn't take just five. I'm glad he told the story because, man, God does some amazing things. And it's just great to see, great to hear. And that was the reason why I wanted him to come up here because I kept trying to share the, the little bits and pieces. And I'm like, I, I'm not doing it justice. Um, probably a little bit more graphic. That's why we let the kids go out. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching online, should have given you a free warning. I apologize for that. But, you know, I just love to hear people's stories. And it doesn't have to be some crazy story of, how deep and dark you got into this thing. It's just the fact, uh, yesterday Charlie Schubert shared his testimony with the men's group, and his was simply this. I met Jesus, and then I went to, went to what did you say, you went right afterwards, like to a Sunday school class, or something, and that was, that was it. And I'm like, that's just as big of a deal as Josh's. Jesus changes lives, and he brings us to himself. And, and that is what we see in this grand story that is Ephesians, and that is all the things that Paul is praising God for. And if you've got a chance to read through it this week, I hope you saw it. 
I hope you saw the things that were going on, that we are a part of a bigger story. That story that Josh shared, the story that Charlie shared yesterday, the story that is you, we are a part of the grand story, the thing that God is playing out, and He has been since, as Ephesians tells us, the found, excuse me, I'm just still a little bit emotional hearing Josh's stuff, the foundations of time. If you do me a favor, if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 3 through 14. Last week, we started out in verse 1 and 2. And we're, we're really seeing Paul break down the, the introduction and the overall of this letter and how the grace of God has made us worthy. And because He has made us worthy, our response should be to walk worthy. This is what Paul is laying out as he introduces the book to the saints. He greets the saints, those who are believers in Christ. And we looked at how Paul encouraged these basic, ordinary people, just like you and me, and reminding them of who they were and who they now are because of Christ, where they should find their identity and how they should live differently in this jacked up world that we live in. And you know what? It wasn't just for the Ephesians. He's talking about us too. Because we live in a world that is very similar to that of Ephesus. One that is based on all things that are not God. All the things trying to fill the whole of God. And he says, no, we need to live differently. And that brings us to verse 3 today. Verse 3 is the beginning of the longest sentence in Greek literature anywhere. It's the longest, it's the beginning of the longest sentence, especially in the New Testament, but anything written in Greek, this is the longest sentence. Actually, one sentence goes from verse 3 to verse 14. Now, we have the English version, we have different translations, we have verse breakups, and we have punctuation, so we don't get the whole deal. We get it because that makes it a little bit easier for us to digest. But as we look at it today, we're going to look at all of the different ways that, that God has blessed us. Now, the crazy thing about this passage, and one of the reasons why we show Groundhog's Day up front, in case you're wondering, is this passage, verse 3, is the big step out of the introduction that truly is a real doozy. It is a step that, as we take it into it, you may hear words that have been debated for centuries. Debated for centuries, and people have have gotten so off on that they have missed the big picture of this one sentence. This big picture of this one sentence is the fact that God is worthy to be praised. And Paul is praising his name for the blessings that we have. And he's pointing out the blessings that we should also be praising for. So as I read this and as you follow along, please see it. In verse 3 it says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure that He purposed in Christ. A plan, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. 
in Him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we who already been put on hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. In Him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. That is a one sentence. One sentence of pure praise from Paul to God that we get to be a part of that was preserved for us to be able to read. And I hope you heard the prayer of praise to God by, by Paul. I hope you heard the prayer of thanksgiving of all the blessings that he has blessed us with. I hope that you were listening when Paul just listed a couple of those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I also hope that you caught in verse 14 as well as in verse 12. But verse 14 wraps up that sentence on why it happened. The purpose of it all. And the purpose of it all, the same thing what we talked about on why we do what we do for the first eight, nine weeks of this year. And that's because it's all for His praise and His glory. And we'll dive deeper into that more in next week because we're not going to be able to get through all of this passage today. As a matter of fact, I even cut it shorter because there's so much in this that, that I don't want to miss as we dive in today. Um, it's all for His glory. Our salvation is for His glory. Your story, Josh, is for His glory. Your story, Charlie, is for His glory. Your story is for His glory. My story is for His glory. And you may have caught, even in the middle of all of that, a thing called the solas. The five solas. And those five solas, the word sola meaning only, is the five distinctions that were laid out by early Protestant reformers as they were separating themselves from some of the beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church. He said, in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone. The word sola means only or alone in Latin. The only one that is not listed in this is actually for Scripture alone or in Scripture alone, which Paul goes into in other letters as well as Peter what you need to see here is just in this one sentence, the rich prayer and the rich praise that really envelops who we are and why we are what we are. And there's something else you might have heard in there. Again, it's that first step out of the introduction that we have to watch because it is a doozy. Those two words that so many people get hung up on, chosen and predestined or elected, if your, your version might say that, or predestined. And here's what I, I really want to do today as we get started. I want to pray for clarity. Because you may have already walked in with a specific filter on, knowing with the passage we were going to be in. I actually had people ask me this thing, so how are you going to approach it? If you're here with us during Revelation, you know how I'm going to approach this. I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to tell you what I do know, and I'm going to let you do your work to figure out why you believe what you believe. I'm going to challenge you to do that. You don't have to take my word for it. So as we do, what I want to do is I want to pray. And I just want to pray that God gives us a heart and mind that is open to what He has to say to us. So let's do that now. God, as we dive into this passage, again, we want you to have the glory. We want you to have the praise. 
We don't want to get hung up on what we might think, but instead we want to see what your word has to speak to us in our hearts as we praise that name of yours. And as we prayed last week, God, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. We pray it in your name. Amen. So our first verse out of the gate is verse 3. And verse 3 says these words, and, and honestly, this could have been a sermon all by itself. So I'm going to try and hold back all the things I want to say and just share with you what it says. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. The first half of the verse says, God the blessed one. God the blessed one. The original word for this blessed one here only is used for God in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the only time it is used for man in the New Testament is in Romans chapter 9, verse 5. And you know who it's talking about in Romans chapter 9, verse 5? Jesus. So in case you ever have a wonder or desire to know, was God or Jesus really God? Romans 9, 5 kind of helps you even in that argument. The deity is there. And you know, the word itself refers to someone that is blessed based on their own personal worth or excellence. Now you know why it's only reserved for God. Because He's the only one that is worthy on His own. The term was actually meant to use when giving praise and glory. And that's how Paul starts his prayer. What, what a beautiful thing. He says, because God is who He is, He is worthy to be praised. He is the blessed one. He is set apart from all creation. But then he says, He's also the one who blesses. That's the second part of the verse. Second half of the verse says, that God has given us everything. The blessed one has blessed us with all that we have. And for what purpose? Go back to verse 14. For His praise and His glory. That's why we are what we are. That's why we, who, uh, we are who we are. That is why we have what we have. Our whole lives, it's about Him. And I love how the Apostle Peter actually covers this in, in 2 Peter 1.3 when he says these words, his divine power has given us everything required for life. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. I love Paul's confidence as he writes. I love Peter's confidence as he writes. But look what Paul does. He gives honor and praise to God because of who He is, because of what He's done. And then he praises Him for the benefits that He has given to us past, present, and future. The, the blessings that He's given us that are past, present, and future. And He says, this is because of who we are in Christ. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. That's our blessing. We lack nothing. And where does Paul's confidence lie? Well, I'm not sure if you can read my shirt. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. That, that is where his confidence lies. It's nothing that he has done. It's not based on anything that he has earned. It's not based on anything that he deserved. As a matter of fact, I would put it this way. If it were, it'd be just as easy to lose it as it was to gain it. If we did something to gain it. But no, it's all God. It's all Christ. And that really is what leads us to the next verses that create tension within the church. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think they should. 
I don't think these verses should create the tension that it has. Obviously, wise, scholarly men and women have debated this passage for centuries. I am neither wise nor scholarly. So I'm not going to come in here and say, hey, guess what? I got the answer. I've got it. But I am going to tell you what I believe the Scripture says. And the truth of the matter is, is sometimes I think we fight over things that God did not give us to fight over. We were given this passage as a praise to see who He is, not to go, well, this is what I think and this is what I think. We're supposed to see God for who He is. And these words that I read next, again, weren't meant for debate, and they weren't meant for, for us to fight over. They are actually meant to bring us to and inspire us to awe and worship of our Heavenly Father. That's what they were meant for. That's what it says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and loved before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. In this passage, there's two words that stand out. And they've really divided two camps of Christianity. You have chosen and you have predestined. But the first thing I think we have to understand here as we look at it is probably that word chosen. You realize the idea of God choosing people to display His glory? That's the purpose, remember? has been around since the beginning. It's not something new that Paul is just introducing. The Bible is a story that lays out God's choosing. He chose to create the world for His glory. You realize I have a question that's asked me often. You know, did God know that Adam and Eve were going to sin? And if He did, why did He create them? Can I tell you, the answer is short and simple. For His glory. Yes, He knew, and He did it for His glory. See, the Bible makes it clear that God is all-knowing, and He allowed Adam and Eve to have a choice. That choice led to a fall. That fall led to redemption. And that redemption one day will lead to a restoration that is perfection. It's what scholars often call... Well... A meta-narrative. I don't really like the word meta anymore because Facebook stole it, but it, it's, a, it's a meta-narrative. Paradise created, paradise lost, paradise restored. It's the, meta, it's, it's the whole story. God chose to create the world for His glory, and that world best displays the glory of God, the world that is right now. That's the one that best displays it because a world that is allowed to fall is a world that was redeemed and a world that is restored to its original perfection brings God that glory. That's a simple answer to a long, even possible sermon all on its own just for that one question. But God chose to create the world for His glory. God also chose Israel that they might be a light to the nations. I've been reading through the, the Old Testament and my, my Bible reading plan and some of it is really boring. There, there's details about the temple that I really don't care about. But the truth of the matter is, what they tell me is that God is a God of detail, and He knows exactly what He wants, and He doesn't do it by accident. And as I read those things, and I see those things play themselves out, He chose Israel on purpose. He chose Abraham before He chose Israel on purpose. And that purpose was to shine His light. If you read throughout, you'll see as, as the people are wandering in the desert, and it's only because I was reading it this morning in Deuteronomy, 
You, you, there's a history of, of the things that God did. And when people chose to do what He wanted, there was blessing. And when people chose to not do, there was curse. It lays itself out. God knows what He's doing. He chose Israel. Jesus, He chose, what, 12 guys. One of which chose not to follow in the end. But He chose 12 guys to bear fruit and multiply and grow His church. 1 Corinthians 2, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 28 and 29 says... God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in this world what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in His presence. Josh, I have a feeling you can smile at that verse because I know I can. I know I'm that insignificant thing that God uses to bring His glory to people who are trying to push it away. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we already read it. He chose us in Him. Romans 9 through 11 talks about His choosing. Read the passage. Acts 13, 48, the Gentiles are rejoicing of news of salvation, also being for them. And it says this in that verse, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 8.30, and he predestined, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. 2 Timothy 2.10, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ with eternal glory. God's choosing. His election, His predestination, whatever word you want to use there, they are throughout Scripture. But, there's a hang-up when we see them. There's a hang-up that is there. And the the reason why is because there's parts of it we just don't understand. There's a mystery to what God is doing. There's a mystery to how God does it, and there's a mystery to why God does it. How many times did you ask why, Josh? Constantly. Why me, God? What what are you doing? How are you doing? I don't understand. Well, guess what? I am not God. And there's going to be things He chooses not to reveal to me. That's a constant reminder that I have to have, and I'll say it again as we move on. But here's a question that comes up. Well, if if God chose to predestine us, if if He chose us before the foundation of the world, does that take away my freedom of choice? Or a word that we like to hear is free will. And the answer is, is no. It does not. The truth is, you can choose to do just about anything you want. And the only reason why I say just about anything, because there's one exception. You cannot choose God. I know, that's a bold statement to make. But let me tell you this. In all of our free will, it's not really free. The Bible is very clear that we, before Christ, are in bondage or slavery to what? Sin. We are slaves to sin. Ephesians 4 says the unsaved are going to walk in the futility of their thoughts, darkened in their understanding. They're going to be ignorant to God and hard-hearted. Romans chapter 3 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Just going to there. Okay, I didn't make that statement up my own. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 44? 
He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We don't make the choice. We don't choose God. And here's where the tension comes in because the Bible says, hey, but you got to repent. The Bible's command says you have to repent. Not only that, it says you have to come to the offer of salvation. You have to confess your sins. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And all of those are 100% true. But we have to remember this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, we don't initiate it. God, in His grace, has opened hearts and opened minds for us to make it possible to respond. That, that is where we find ourselves at. We don't initiate it because we can't. We've talked about it before, but a dead thing can't give itself life. It's dead. God chose us before we could ever choose Him. And I know that is hard to wrap our minds around. And He didn't choose us because any good thing in us Instead, He chose us because He is God and He's full of grace and He's full of mercy. And there's something I I can't emphasize enough. This is nothing to be upset about. There's nothing in here to argue about. It's to be humbled by. That is a statement of humility. I had nothing to do with this relationship getting started, but the God of the universe wanted to have a relationship with me. That is humbling. It also should be something I should be grateful for. Just like Paul's whole prayer. He is grateful because of it. I love the new song by Micah Tyler. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. It's called, I Saw Grace. In the third verse, it says, I still hurt, fall short of what you say I'm worth. And that devil says that I don't deserve what you did on the cross. And he's right, because I don't, but you did it anyway. Every time I hear that, man, it just gives me goosebumps. Because he is right. I don't deserve it, but he did it anyway. God chose us for no good reason other than His good pleasure. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, and I still don't. But He did it anyway, and I don't understand why. But that's okay. Why is it okay? Because there's some things I have to remind myself of is that God is God and I am not. He will reveal some things to me, but He's not going to reveal everything. Maybe that's a struggle from the very beginning. Why did Adam and Eve take place and eat that fruit? Because they wanted to be like God. They wanted the knowledge. Maybe that's our struggle all along. We want that knowledge. And there's some things God just isn't going to tell us about. Now, this doesn't make one camp versus another camp. I I truly believe these things work together. This idea of God's sovereignty and knowing and choosing in our free will, it's something that scholars call concurrence. It's simultaneous occurrence of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's a mystery that we will not know on this side of heaven. I truly believe every single one of us in here, Bruce and I have talked about this, every single one of us in here have some bad theology and we're going to get before God. I hate when people say stand before God because I'm pretty sure He's awesome and I'm not and I will not be standing. I will be kneeling with my face down. But when I get to that place, He's going to say, hey, here's where you were wrong. And I'll be like, oh, now it makes sense. Now I got it. But as I look at this, and I see this passage, I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He's a commentator, theologian. He says, try and explain election, and you may lose your mind. I've been losing my mind all week, by the way. But try and explain it away, 
and you may lose your soul. And I went, ooh, ow. A little sting. I can say that again, absolutely. Try to explain election and you may lose your mind, but try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. See, both election and free will, they're both true. They're both essential. They work hand in hand. Charles Spurgeon, when asked, hey, how do you reconcile the two? You know what his answer was? I don't have to reconcile friends. They work together. This is how it comes together. And when we look at the passage, like we said up front, we can't miss what Paul is doing here. He's praising God for being loving in verse 4 and 5, for being sovereign in verse 5, for being gracious in verses 6 and 8, and being consistent because God does what he says he's going to do. He's always consistent with who he is. That is what we have to understand. The big thing is, we have to remember this is a part of a grand story. We cannot let our interpretation of a single passage of praise get in the way of doing what God has commanded us to do. And you know what he's commanded you to do? To go and preach the gospel. To go and plant seeds and let God do the work. That is what we are called to do. And too often we use one as an excuse for the other to say, oh, well, no, if they're chosen, I don't have to do anything. No, that's not what the Bible says. We can't take one passage and ignore another part of it. We have to see how they work together. See, the thing is, is God's had a plan since the foundation of the world. Sometimes we need to get ourselves and our pride out of the way and just let God work in us and through us as a humble servant. Not as a proud leader, but as a humble servant. And here's another thing from verse 4. God plans and God's choices, I already said, they're not aimless and they're not random. He has purpose. And the purpose is stated here. Why did he choose you? To be holy and blameless in love before him. Can I tell you something that might bother a few of you? We're not saved just so we can escape hell. We are saved to live holy lives and blameless lives before him. Can I say that again? We are not saved just so we can escape hell. We're saved to live a life holy and blameless before Him. But what does it mean to be holy and blameless? Holy, set apart. We talked about it last week with the saints. And that involves past, present, and future. Chosen, He has set us apart from the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, He has set us apart. To be set apart in our daily lives, living for Him. And to be set apart when we live forever with Him in heaven. That is holy, blameless, without blemish or spot. The stain of sin has been washed away. You know what that means? We no longer swim in this cesspool that the world is. We don't play in it. We're separated. In Christ, we are made holy. In Christ, we are made blameless. In Christ, you know what? We're made worthy. Might just be where we got our title from. That is where we find ourselves. Our goal is to live that out, that truth, and we live it out practically in our day-to-day lives. Then we jump into verse 5. Another word. He predestined. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Predestined. It means to be marked out beforehand. What were we predestined for? To be adopted as sons. I can go into adoption all day long if you'd like me to but we've got to get going on through this passage here. But it means to be part of a family. It means to be taken from where you were as an orphan and brought into a family. Not by my choice, but by His. And 
Not do I just get to be a part of the family. I get to be a part of the family in Him and through Him and for Him. That is the blessing I get. I get to share in an inheritance. And we'll talk more about that next week. But if you go back to verse 4, remember it's all one sentence long. Two words that fill in there. He says, in love. God did all this in love. This was His motivation. To extend grace to those He chooses and marks them out to be His children. Because... He loves us. Here's a truth that I believe with my every, every part of me. And that's this. The ultimate consequence for sin is eternity in hell. And that is a destination for all men. Except those God lovingly and graciously chose to save. I truly believe that. But here is a struggle that I have with that. And a question maybe you're asking already in your head. If God chooses some, does He not choose others? And if that's the case, is that really fair? It isn't fair that God would choose some and not others. But we have to be very careful not base our theology of God on what we like or what we don't like because if we do that, we're no longer worshiping God. We're worshiping a God we created. As I said, we've read through, I've been reading through the Old Testament. Israelites did that a whole, whole lot of times and they created their own God to worship because they wanted it that way instead of the way God would have it. So the answer to the question, is it unfair that God would choose some and not others? The answer is, if God were fair, He would send us all to hell. If God were fair, He would choose none of us and all mankind would be lost. But in His grace and in His mercy, for His glory, He chooses some according to His goodwill. Again, I don't understand it. I don't know why, But he chooses some showing agape love. And that agape love, because there's different words for love in the Greek, the love that chooses to sacrifice itself for the benefit of the one chosen. What's that agape love look like? Well, it's demonstrated for us on the cross. That while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Out of that love comes adoption. And it speaks to the relationship that he has for us. You realize that God could have just saved us and not made us a part of the family? But He chose to make us a part of the family, to be His children. Children with the privileges of any other family heir. That just is mind-blowing. That is worthy of praise. But again, the question is, why? And the only answer I have for you is because God is full of grace and mercy. And we praise Him for it. Now, my original attention was to continue on through verse 10 today. But if you see, there's a word in the beginning of verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. And redemption isn't anything I can hurry through. It's going to take 20 minutes to really dive into that, if not more. So we're going to save that for next week. I have to change my whole teaching schedule now. It's, it's, but I'm okay with that. Because I want you guys to hear about the beauty of redemption that comes with it. And I don't want to hurry through it. So what I want to do is I want to wrap up today with a question. And that question is not whether or not you agree with me on predestination or election. Because again, like I said up front, I don't have all the answers. And I would really encourage you to dive in and learn about these things yourself. Figure out why you believe what you believe. Don't just take my word for it. Instead, the question I want to ask is this. If you profess faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you understand that your salvation is not just for you? that the main purpose of your salvation 
is bringing glory to God. Do you know that? Because my fear is many who claim Christianity, they miss this simple truth as they continue to have their worlds revolve around them. They live for themselves without even giving a second thought to what they do or how they do it or what they say and how it might reflect the glory of God in their lives. I truly believe that the lives of so many Christians would be so different if we could just grasp the purpose, the primary purpose of my salvation is not to get me out of hell, but it is for God's glory and His glory alone. I struggle with the fact that the gospel in the American church is no longer proclaimed and lived out, but instead it's actually marketed and sold. And it's marketed and sold in a, hey, make an emotional decision kind of way. It's being manipulated without the whole story being explained and told. We've pushed to get a person to respond to the feels. We have this emotional thought that Jesus is going to somehow boost my self-esteem or, or He's going to take care of all of our problems. But we fail to tell them what they're actually being saved from and what they're being saved to. And, and, and that bothers me. We, we've missed the primary purpose of salvation. To put it this way, salvation is from sin. Salvation is from sin, and it will result in a temporary deliverance from the consequences of broken and ruined lives. Josh stood up here and shared that with you. And it will deliver you from the ultimate consequence of eternal separation from God, but the primary purpose of salvation goes even deeper than that. Salvation is from sin and sin's effects on our relationship with God. And the brokenness that follows that. Because that brokenness leads to an inability to actually fulfill the purpose that you were created for. Which is again, to glorify God. Salvation is to a reconciled relationship with God. Bringing us back to being able to properly bring glory to His name. If your life is not being lived in a way that we can glorify God in action, word, thought, and attitude... Can I just tell you something needs to change? And it needs to change as quickly as possible. Either A, you're not a Christian and you need to get on your knees and you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness and thank Him for His mercy and realize that salvation is a gift given by God's grace and accepted by faith, which we'll talk about also in Ephesians. Or B, you're a Christian that needs to realize why you were saved why Jesus came, why Jesus lived, and why He died for you. It wasn't just so you wouldn't go to hell, but so you could give your life and live for Him forever. Just like Josh, as you wrapped up, that, that clarity. It, it's weird. I already pre-typed all this before you ever shared any of that. It's just like God working. You know how that works sometimes. Salvation is more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. You were saved for a purpose. The Sunday after Easter, we're talking about Ephesians 2.10. When it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God, the blessed one, has blessed us by choosing us in Him and adopting us into His family. This is one of the greatest riches we have if we are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, today's the day. If you are in Christ, let's live our lives according. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today and the opportunity to be able to share and dive into your word. And I know there's things in this passage that, that are difficult. I know there's things in this passage that are hard to understand, but it wasn't necessarily meant for us. It was meant for you, a praise to you, a prayer to you, something that we can look at and say, God, thank you.
Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing each person in this room to be here even today to hear your message in song, in testimony, and from your word. God, may your Holy Spirit be doing the work that is necessary to make us more like you because in our own flesh, we're going to choose ourselves. Give us the power the power that is found in your grace, the power that is found in your Holy Spirit to overcome the temptations and to to chase after you, to love after you, to desire all that you are and want more of you and less of the world. We pray it all in your name. Amen.